Welcome to TED In Your Head, the 10-minute podcast created exclusively to help you eliminate bad habits and success-limiting fears and beliefs so that you too can win at life and business. Your host is Ted Moreno, certified hypnotherapist and high-performance coach. On this show, we tackle the trash and talk some truth to transform your mind. Let's check it out and welcome your host, Ted Moreno. So greetings and welcome to the Ted In Your Head podcast. I'm Ted Moreno, certified hypnotherapist and high performance coach for over, let's see, it's been about 17 years now. I've been helping people achieve more success in life and business. And this podcast is all about letting go of limiting beliefs and transforming your mind. I believe that to tap into the power of our minds, we need to have a healthy mind a healthy body, and most importantly, we need to have healthy attitudes. So today we're going to have another episode of the TED In Your Head interview series where I interview experts in personal transformation. Today my guest is Michelle Arpin-Bagina. Michelle is a certified financial planner and a certified investment management analyst. She's the founder and gateway of Michelle A.B., To support her clients on their unique wealth journeys, Michelle is a technician of financial planning, investment, and wealth management. But what differentiates Michelle from other financial advisors is that she has spent the last two-plus decades studying the unconventional, non-financial aspects of life satisfaction, financial therapy, and that is a thing, behavioral bias, choice, and decision advising. Rather than thinking of her role as a gatekeeper of portfolios, she sees real value in being a gateway to personal financial freedom. She believes we all need to examine the money stories, scripts, and lessons that affect our financial psychology so that we can rethink what we know about money to have more of it. Michelle lives in Wyckoff, New Jersey with her husband, Mike, and sons, Alex and Nick. She is an avid photographer and her sons are her favorite subject. So welcome, Michelle, and thanks so much for being on my podcast. Thanks for having me, Ted. It's great to be here. So let's get right into it. How do you help your clients, Michelle? I help people transcend money beliefs, and I I help them do that so that their state of mind and their financial status match one another. And it's really by understanding our relationship with money and the unintended consequences that can ensue when we don't have an awareness of that relationship with money or the relationship isn't where we want it to be is the core of what I really help people to do. Okay. And how did you get started doing this? That is a long story, Ted. (laughs) So We have time for a brief version. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The reversion. I think it's a little weird to say that we have a relationship with money because money's not a living, breathing thing. It's an inanimate object, but it animates much of our lives. And when I was growing up, it was rich, poor, rich, poor, rich, poor growing up. It was the kind of animation that created a, a safe facade and the need to run for cover at the same time. And it really, um, what was going on when I was growing up was my parents were hardworking, talented, 
and footloose with their money. So literally, they would be buying big ticket items like private airplanes or ultimately at a yacht that was um, that was purchased instead of sending me to college. And every time they made these big purchase items, big ticket items, they were down to the last $5. So that's what I grew up around. And I breathed that in like secondhand smoke. So I, I realized really early on that my parents had a relationship with money individually and that they had a relationship with one another when it came to their money that was um, really high performing on one hand and really defiant on another. So I came by all of this really naturally, just growing up, observing and experiencing this myself. Well, I think uh, rather than the matter of degree regarding yachts and private airplanes, I think that's probably something a lot of people can relate with, you know, buying big ticket items such as an expensive car, expensive television set or computer, and then being left with no money, right? Or, or yes. even, even worse, I know that um, I used to spend a lot of money on eating out uh, and then have nothing to show for it afterwards. So um, it sounds like these are the kind of things that you help people with. Yes. So, um, and you're right, you know, it, uh, private airplanes and yachts is not exactly the most, those are not the most relatable kind of examples, but, but there was a, um, at least for me growing up, there was a poverty of prosperity because my parents, you know, they were really smart. They were really hardworking and they ran a successful business, but they, um, they were high performing and defiant at the same time. Right. So I think that that is the key that we all can relate to. And there is this myth out there that how we do one thing is how we do everything. And I could not disagree with that more, right? We can be, uh, you know, we can have it all going on in many areas of our lives and yet bring a different, oh, sorry about that. Bring a different, um, you know, we can, we can, we can have it all going on in different areas of our life, but yet bring a different role to the table, say in the office versus at home or with our money relationship. And that's going to affect the way that we think about things and the way that we behave about things. So that's a lot of the core of what I help people to discover. And it's really, you know, I'm, um, I'm insanely curious about people and it's really that discovering who that person is, what that actually allows is for them to discover who they are in ways that they had never considered before. And that's an opening, right? And they may discover uh, things that they didn't know about their money relationship or the nature of their money relationship. They also, um, you know, and not everybody has a secret to keep, but sometimes that's an opening if there are things that people have not been talking about that it gives them that open opening to start talking about it. Because with money, what's a little bit tricky is we all want to feel normal, so to speak, when it comes to our money. And part of how we think we normalize our experiences is by talking about them. But yet money is not something that we openly 
talk about on more than just a surface level. Right. So this self-discovery process, really, whether we are doing it with a guide or whether we're doing it for ourselves, it's not diagnosis, it's discovery. And sometimes we just need to discover, you know, uh, the, the, the bottom of our conscious mind just above the subconscious, right? It doesn't have to be so, so deep, but it's a little bit of self-analysis that helps us to think a little bit differently with our money and then ultimately behave differently with our money. So that's uh, obviously the transformational process of, of what you do and how you help people. I mean, most people don't really associate mm-hmm. transformation with money, but um, if you want to get out of that uh, poor then rich cycle, then you obviously have to transform your relationship, which means your attitudes and thoughts and beliefs about money, how it's spent, how it's used, and how to get more. Exactly. Exactly. Even the the word um, transform, I think what we're actually trying to do is transcend, Hmm. right? So Maslow, uh, I think most of us, at least I thought, the top of the pyramid, so to speak, was self-actualization. And what we now know is that Maslow had actually um, he had amended that pyramid where the top was not self-actualization, it's transcendence. And it's getting to that place where you are self-actualized, but the next level is that you now want to give to the world what it is that you've learned. And that's really where I think aspirationally people want to be in that position of, I have become all, or and I'm still evolving to become all that I am meant to be. And now I want to take what I have, right, know or who I'm being, and I want to share it out into the world. So it's uh, that's that's really the mission of what this work is about: is being able to get to that place where uh, you can live on your own terms and you're able to have impact for people, small and large, right? Close people who are close to you or the larger world, so to speak. Very interesting. So let me ask you, what are some of the things that keep people from managing their money effectively? And I know that's a, that probably has a lot of different answers, but you know, if you could drill it down to, you know, the things that keep people from managing their money effectively and being smart with their money. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm going to go back to the relationship um, for a second. And what I think happens out there in the mainstream is, you know, we've all heard the tried and true types of pieces of advice, like uh, spend below your means or save, you know, 15% of your income or those types of things. And while all of it is good advice, if we first don't understand the relationship that we're having with our money, we may not necessarily not only be able to hear that advice, we may not be able to act on it because it's just going against our grain because uh, the advice is so general that it's as if it's being given that this is going to be able to be applied equally to everyone who is receiving it. Mm. Whereas I don't think that's the case. You know, the makeup or the nature of our relationship is as individual as we are as people. And it comes from, you know, our upbringing, what we experienced what we remember about what we experienced, what we made it mean, right? All of the beliefs 
you know, all of the world that you touch on, right? The, um, the shadow self that it creates, which I know you talk about, the beliefs that are handed down to us. So sometimes the general information out there is very hard for someone to actually put into action. So mm-hmm. I think it really stems from understanding our own relationship. Then I think we talk about the economic capital much more than we talk about some other forms of capital. So in something called positive psychological capital, it's not just what we have, it's who we know, who we're being, and what we know. So the, you know, the who we know is who in our world could help us to make our dreams come true. The what we have is what we expect, right? That's the economic reality of uh the home we own or the the balance in our bank account or investment accounts, right? So the economic capital. But then there's um, what we know, right? What specialized knowledge do we have, information, skills that we can monetize? And then the last piece, which I think is really important, is who we're being. And our relationship with money really falls into the who we're being camp. And that very much relates back to what we talked about earlier about this concept of how we do one thing is not how we do everything, which is something called contextual self, uh, self-control. So are things like values and attributes are going to come into play as well as who we're being. So are we committed? Are we effective? Are we persuasive? Are we industrious? And when we start to look at these attributes that we have of who we're being, we can really start to look at other areas of our life where we're being successful. So for example, someone who's really successful at the office, you could be looking at these forms of psychological capital as one element and looking at your past successes and then asking yourself, how can I apply what I've learned by observing my past successes, how can I apply that to my relationship with money, the thoughts that I have around it, the behaviors and the habits that I have? Okay, well, you, you said a mouthful there, but um, what I hear you saying is that it's not just, you know, when we ask the question, what keeps people from managing their money? It's not lack of knowledge of what to do with money or how to invest it. It involves a whole lot of other things. Like you said, things other than economic capital, who you know that will support you, you know, whether, whether you are a procrastinator or a, or a person that can take action or, you know, a number of, you know, how you're showing up in other areas of your life as well, right? So as we take mm-hmm. a deeper dive into the quote unquote relationship with money, then uh, it's a multifaceted um, approach, I guess, if we're going to help people to ultimately have more money, because that's what we're talking about here, right? Uh, we, we not only mm-hmm. want to have more money, but we want to feel a sense of ease and a sense of accomplishment with our money, regardless of how much money we have, right? Because as you mentioned, you could be bringing in a tremendous, a tremendously large income, but if you're spending it all, then that's not real wealth, right? And there's a sense of uh, anxiety or unease about this, whereas if you are you know, pulling in maybe, uh, you know, $70,000 a year, but you've got, uh, maybe a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank, then you, you may feel pretty good about that. You know, you're taking mm-hmm. care of your, uh, health and you're taking care of your, um, you know, future, you've got life insurance and all of those things. So 
Um, yeah, so there's a lot packed in your answer there. <laughs> there is. I know I gave you a long answer. It's really, I think what you're hitting on is it's, um, it's really about the wealth being that somebody wants to create, right? Which is not just the, the numerical wealth that somebody has, right? but the total picture that you are describing. Got it. And <clears throat> when I talk about matching your state of mind with your status, it's exactly what you're talking about, right? Someone may um, feel timid, but they want to feel confident and empowered, right? So there is an emotional journey to this of getting from one state of mind to uh, another state of mind. A preferred state of mind is definitely part of it. And what I notice about people is when that state of mind starts to change, and I'm sure you can attribute to this as well, when their state of mind starts to change, their thoughts, their beliefs, their attitudes, and their behavior also starts to change. And once those two things are connected, then people can start to take action toward what they really want in life. And I think there's, there's you know, I call it the universal goal. When I ask people, what, what do you really want financially? I usually get a version of, I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Freedom. And they want freedom, right? And they want to be able to do it on their terms. They also will throw in, and, you know, I want what I want, when I want, how I want, without worrying about it. And what I always describe to people is you can stop the worry, but it is a money relationship. And the thing that you have in common with a, a, a relationship in your real life is that you still need time and attention. Right. So that puts it from worrying to thinking. So we have to be intentional. We have to think about our money, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have to worry, right? So the worry can be like, you can change that state of mind. And once you transition to, okay, it's no longer worry, it's thinking, then you're able to be instructive and proactive about the mechanics of what you need to do around your money, right? So there's a very left brain, right brain process. And what I think I bring to the table is this, expand the definition of financial literacy, that it's not just the nuts and bolts, the belts and suspenders that we need to know about good sound money management. It's also knowledge of self that we need to bring to the table as well. Okay. So that's, uh, that definition of financial literacy, uh, just kind of blew apart kind of the narrow, uh, idea I always had of what that meant, you know, and in my conversation with you, I realized that it encompasses a lot more as, as we just alluded to. Um, so I know that you work on kind of two tracks. I know that you are a financial, a certified financial planner. So if somebody came to you and said, you know, Hey, I want you to set up an IRA for me, or, you know, I want, I, I need to move this money around. You can certainly help them with that. When, mm -hmm. and, 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 and so obviously you're not, you're probably not going to tell when your clients look, you have, problems in your relationship with money. You're probably not going to pull that out unless they approach you with, you know, Hey, I noticed you have this other thing that you do. Can you help me with that? So how, how do you integrate both of these, these two streams, I guess, or two different areas of expertise that you 
that you engage in? Yeah, great question. So in my wealth management practice, everything that we're talking about is my approach with clients. So I will uh, go through the beginning stages with them of discovery, which is understanding their money scripts, right? Though that really gets at the core of their underlying beliefs around money. Uh, of course, I'm asking for all their financial information, and I'm doing a very deep dive in their preferences for risk, what they can tolerate, what they, what they say they can tolerate versus what I'm seeing. So I'm looking for those discrepancies. So I would say that's more the, tr the, the traditional approach to financial planning and investment management with my approach, which is really becoming an expert in that person when it comes to their relationship with money. And it's that inquisitive um, process, as I said earlier, that just by way of what I'm insatiably curious about to know about this person in their relationship with money, they're discovering things about themselves in the process because I'm usually the person that's asking them things that they've never considered about their money or they've never, or they've considered, but they've never answered out loud to another human being. The way that all of that information, the way that I use all of that information is um, I don't put a finger in the ointment of, oh, I noticed that you're doing such and such here, right? It's more that I get to know that person so well that when I see different issues come up through time, I just have an awareness about what that might be that's occurring for that person and I check it out with them. So I don't assume I know what it is, but I might bring up, um, you know, I, I've noticed that, you know, when we talk about this one issue that I'm noticing a pattern here, you know, can we explore that? And then we're off to the races. With my practice with Michelle A.B., people actually seek me out, uh, not so much for the, um, the financial nuts and bolts, but they know that they are not acting in ways that are congruent with what their financial goals are. And it really has nothing to do with the numbers. So the entire approach that I take in my wealth management practice, I do everything in my Michelle A.B. practice without looking at the numbers. Okay. And if someone wants to take that step, then, then we can do that. So somebody can come to you and say, oh, I've already got a financial certified financial planner that I really like, but I want to work with you to help me have a better relationship with money. So, yeah. Okay. Got yes. it. So, so what, what, so, can someone, go ahead, go I'm sorry, go ahead. So what can someone, what, what I was going to say is to give, like to give you an example of, um, you know, I call it missing the financial forest for the trees where, uh, what we often don't think about, for example, is someone who has financial wealth, they often don't feel wealthy or secure. It's the it's such a paradox that, um, and and I think part of it is because we're not very good at emotionally forecasting. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've got a goal that's on the horizon, you know, a long horizon, five, 10, 15 years away. And we're striving toward that and we reach it financially and we don't necessarily feel all the wonderful feelings of satisfaction that we anticipated that we would. And part of why that happens is because 
as we move through time and we continue to learn and we continue to evolve and grow as human beings, that future self, you know, the one that's a year and two years and three years down the road, she is learning and experiencing things in that moment, not in the moment that you forecasted prior to. So very often there's a disconnect between people and uh, a significant amount of wealth, but not feeling comfortable to say retire, which sounds like a really great problem to have, which it is, um, but not if you're the one that's suffering, right? Not if you're the one that's saying, I can't let go of the white lab coat, or I can't, you know, uh, call it quits for good because maybe I don't know what my identity is if I'm not working mm. or, uh, or I'll give you a, a great example, a client of mine who, um, has prepared for retirement for years and years and years that she literally cannot retire. And what we were able to discover, she's been the breadwinner for her family and her parents, she was first generation her parents bought a home that they couldn't afford and they ultimately had to, they lost the home. She, as the breadwinner, her biggest fear is her children will experience what she once did. And she's equating income as her ability to make all ends meet. And she has not been able to grow her money self up to realize that she's created the uh, you know, the nest egg to recreate that income if she retires. And what her, what is stopping her is this fear from when she was mm. probably 10 or 12 years old. Mm. And we literally talk about, we've created a shortcut, which when she gets in those moments where she really gets frozen about financial decisions is my financial foundation is firm which right. is a play on, of course, the foundation of a house. Sure. And it's a play on, you know, her mental state of feeling like her financial state is, is secure. So it's a real thing. Well, you, you would have made a great therapist. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know about that. You know what? What I really like about what I do is it's very... Um, it's very forward looking and very forward thinking. And yes, it's fun to explore the past, right? I don't do therapy. I think I'm therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself a coach either. I think I'm coachy. Uh-huh. But what I think is interesting is just surfacing some of this stuff up and asking, okay, how is this affecting you in present day? And then getting very focused on what are the solutions that are at your disposal that you could be acting on. So it's very positive. I'm a, a big believer that everybody has the inspiration and the motivation that's within them. That's actually why I use the term gateway because mm. everything is so democratized today that I actually don't have any knowledge or information that isn't out there in the public sphere. Right. Now, I've studied it for years and years and years, and the way I package it is different than other people package it, but it's out there. And so I don't think that I have, you know, it's not as if people have to come through me to get something, information that they wouldn't be able to get out there. What I 
What I think is different in my approach is it's really about holding space for someone so that they can tap into what is there for them. And the specialized knowledge that I might have is really understanding who that person is so that I know how and what to bring to the table to apply the right piece of knowledge or to ask the right question or to connect a couple of dots that maybe somebody else wouldn't be able to connect. But it's really the powers in that person's hands, really, right. to, to process and to move their, their financial life forward. Yeah, and I, I think most people realize that. But what you said is so true. Having somebody else hold that space for discussion and discovery, uh, you know, we, it's very difficult for us to do with ourselves because, we, you know, we lack objectivity about our own mm -hmm. deal, you know, our own process and stuff. So I think that's ultimately why people come to people like you or people like me, because, you know, we, we create that space where people feel safe and they can, you know, bring up stuff maybe that they haven't talked to or communicated to another human being. So very, very yeah. fascinating uh, peek into all of that that has never really occurred to me before. So um, I think we can probably spend uh, another half hour talking about a lot of this mm -hmm. stuff, because I think we we work very much on the same level, you know, uh, just uh, pointed in different directions. Um, but let me begin to close up by asking you, you know, do you have any advice for someone that would like to have a more powerful relationship with money? So if somebody's like listening to this podcast and they're starting, you know, the light bulb's starting to go off and they're starting to think, you know, what, what should I look at or what can I do? You know, what can you offer as far as direction or advice to somebody that wants to maybe begin to do this work on their own and maybe ultimately reach out and contact someone like you? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking that. I, uh, one, of, one of the most streamlined ways to do it is to actually think back to what did you hear growing up mm -hmm. and rehear what you heard as an adult and ask yourself, once you identify what did I hear, you know, what are the memories around what you heard? Were there events where you heard that? What did you make that mean, right? And, and I completely agree with you that we're not able to be objective about ourselves very often, maybe ever. This is one case where I have noticed that people can resurface uh, old sayings and examine them as an adult almost for the first time, right? Or they're at least examining it as an adult for the first time where they're really thinking about do I believe what I heard? Am I living in such a way that my actions are following through with what I heard? Mm -hmm. And am I hearing this now saying, hmm, I don't really believe that. So like a great example would be somebody that resurfaced to believe money isn't important. Mm -hmm. And when he reheard that as an adult, he, he got his attention and he said, money isn't everything, but it is important. Yeah. And he was in his early mid twenties and he'd been working for five years and he was making really good money and he had about a thousand dollars to show for it, which mm. he was very bothered by that. And once he was able to surface that, it's called a money gram is what it's called. These mm. sayings that we hear. So once he was able to surface that money gram, 
He said, wait a minute, that's what my father said, but that's not what I believe. Right. And it didn't happen overnight, but it was, it was a catalyst. It was a catalyst. The second thing I would say is, and this was a question that somebody asked me once, what's the one secret you've never told anyone? So I would say the second thing is, what's the one money secret you've never told anyone? Because letting that cat out of the bag, if you've got one, can be quite powerful. There's, it's like there's life before the secret and then there's life after the secret. And unfortunately, that's one that you can write that in your journal. You can say it out loud to yourself. But probably to get that outside of yourself, you need to find someone to, uh, for that story to land on their ears for you to get some healing from it. Wow. Be the other. Wow. So the, the number one would be like, what, what kind of money gram can you expose to yourself? Something that you heard or a belief that you've subscribed to that no longer works for you or that, or that you simply don't believe anymore. And then the other thing would, would be, um, what secret, what, what secret about money have you not shared with anybody? So it's like self-awareness, right? Like yeah. sitting down, writing some stuff out and really doing the work to examine uh, what your relationship with money has been maybe yes. historically in your yeah. past. Yeah. That's, that's really, really powerful. Um, so unfortunately we're going to have to end this podcast sometime, um, <laughs> but it's been fascinating talking with you and uh, there's just so much, um, so much just wisdom and information that you're, that you're putting out there. So if people want more of Michelle AB, how can they get in touch with you? So easy. The best place is to come find me on my website, which is Michelle with two L's, AB.com. So MichelleAB.com. And actually right on the homepage is a success formula guide where somebody can download that guide and really look at their success in different areas and consider it through a money lens is available right now. That'd be a great way to reach out to me. Okay. So the success money guide is available for no charge, uh, on, on the homepage of your website. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Is there anything else? Uh, one last piece of information you'd like to share, uh, Michelle, uh, that might be helpful to our listeners. I, we've covered so much ground. Um, believe it's possible. You know, we, yeah. we have, we have this uh, ability within us to be empowered with our money. And I think it can feel quite daunting but we really can transcend our money beliefs and it uh, it's our behaviors can catch up to our mindset very, very quickly, quicker than we think. And um, it's worth exploring. You know, it's a, it's a very interesting trip down money memory lane that one mm. can give themselves. And I think if there was ever a time when people need to hear this information or need to think about this, it's now. I think with so many people um, struggling because of the, the current uh, pandemic situation. So um, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast, for taking the time to articulate some of these really, really profound ideas. Um, I certainly myself uh, will revisit your, I've already been there a number of times, but I'd like to spend a little more time perusing and looking over the money guide and, um, sharing a lot of what you have to share, uh, not only on my podcast, but on uh, social media as well. Uh, speaking of social media, people can access you through the usual suspects. Usual suspects. My favorites are LinkedIn and Instagram. So okay. everybody can find me there. 
And I really want to thank you for having me on. I love your work. I'm honored to be a guest on your show. And this was a lot of fun to talk about. Thank you. Right on. The honor and privilege is mine. Thank you so much for being a guest. Take good care of yourself. And I'm sure we'll connect sometime in the near future. Thank Bye-bye you, now. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Ted In Your Head. If your bad habits and limiting fears and beliefs prevent you from achieving the success you want, it's time to take out the trash, talk some truth, and transform your mind. To learn more about how Ted can personally help you win at life and business, visit www.tedmoreno.com. That's www.tedmoreno.com. Thanks to Dimitri Rosti and Isaac Taylor for their help in producing this podcast. See you next time on the Ted in Your Head podcast.